Welcome back to season six of Comic Book Nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture and the official podcast of comicbook.com. I'm your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me today, I guess we're taking this whole full lineup. All right, let's go. I have my regular co-hosts, Matthew Aguilar, Janelle Wheeler, and Connor Casey. And joining us today, are you, are you joining us for the whole show? Are you here for the whole time? Mr. I guess Kate I am Onder. now. Yeah, yeah buddy. <laughs> All right, we'll take it. Mr. Kate Onder from the gaming team is here. And uh, if you just saw our social media promotional for this live show, we we have a thick one today. We do it all for geek culture. We are never kidding when we say that. And we have so much to cover today. We thought this was going to be kind of a small show. And then it just kept growing and growing. We're going to be reviewing Marvel's Echo. Cade is here because he got hands-on playtime with Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, the long-awaited, long-debated Suicide Squad video game, so he's going to let you guys know about all of that. There's been so much casting news that's like, or rumors or short lists that have come out that we have got to break down. So we're going to get to all of that. Plus, new trailers are out. There's new big movies that have been announced. And there are some things in theaters or on TV this week that we also got to talk about. So let's get to it. No more preamble. Right at the top, we're going to start with a topic we can all talk about together here, which is Marvel's Echo. So, speaking of Echoes, there it is. Hey, that, was, that was so well-timed. <laughs> I, I know, it was know. perfect. Right? Wow. It also gave me a chance to spin my thing back into the cockpit of this spaceship in CB Studios. All right. So, <laughs> Marvel's Echo is out. They dropped the full season Netflix style on uh, Disney Plus and Hulu this week. And it's five episodes, and uh, yeah, let's let's talk about this one. So, this is some of the only kind of uh, Marvel content we're going to be getting in 2024. And uh, there was a lot of controversy, or or at least intrigue, surrounding Echo. As you know, Echo emerged as this breakout character from the Hawkeye Disney Plus series that we got at the end of 2022. We knew that Alakwa Cox was going to get this spinoff show. There were a lot of things hyped about it from, you know, the Daredevil Kingpin connections with Vincent D'Onofrio, friend of the show, and Charlie Cox coming back. But then there was all these kind of reported behind the scenes troubles or, or, or things that had to be done like so many Marvel projects now. Um, so getting into what my feelings and impressions about Echo, this is probably like one of the most conflicted feelings I've ever had about like a Marvel project. And it's because it feels like more so than just about anything else, this has become common for these Marvel properties that were like, let's be honest, produced under the Chapek era. Like this one just feels like it has so many things cooking in it that barely hold together as a show. Um, and, but I also don't know how I would have fixed it. Uh, Echo feels like it starts off being like a Netflix Defenders level show, violent, street level, kind of about this hero coming from these very traumatic circumstances and street level kind of circumstances and their story of rise or or going through the kind of criminal underworld. Hence the Luke Cage hoodie today. That's why that's why we out here with the Luke Cage hoodie today. <laughs> Shout out to the Defenders verse, which also gets a nice bit of validation from the series. But like when the kingpin of it all comes into it and 
this other storyline about Echo and changes to the character with costumes and superpowers and all of that, it, it really just feels like it upends what this show was and leads us into what I, I unfortunately have to say is probably one of the worst finales I've seen. And that's saying something, as we know, Marvel finales aren't that strong. That said, like there, it didn't, I don't feel like it had to be this way because I feel like there was a better series here with just the hard boiled crime stuff and Alakwa Cox and the rest of the cast of characters that we get in here turn out to be a lot more richer and entertaining, kind of like Kamala Khan's family and, and Miss Marvel. But at the same time, I get like why, I mean, there's a, there's a thing to be said. If you had just done this with echo being this very talented person with, you know, a heightened or sharpened abilities who, despite her, you know, impairments is able to be one of the most, badass people in a room take on daredevil and everything like that's a good great character but i would also get if both the native american community and you know the impaired community would feel like their marvel character not getting the level of like superpowers right. and custom and the whole shebanga bang would have felt like they they weren't fully you know getting the full marvel treatment so i don't know how you solve that like i'm not gonna sit here and pretend that i do but it just feels like this show is very much at odds with itself. And I'm glad it exists because it is doing so much for visibility and giving somebody a chance and making a hero story out of somebody like 10 years ago, we would have never probably considered putting on screen as the center of a, a TV series in this way. Um, but it also didn't, I don't think it was handled in the right way. And, and I think we get this thing that I don't think makes, and I'd be curious to see how the cast feels about like where things ultimately ended up and shooting that finale and all of that. So it's confusing, but there's some good stuff in the echo character. I like in a Cox, I like, but in her world, I like, but yeah, just, it feels like there was like five shows in here and each episode, except for a couple exceptions. Um, most of the episodes just feel like they were stitched together with whatever they could put together from what they had. Um, but maybe that's just me. Maybe you guys feel differently. It's interesting that you mentioned, because like the thing you mentioned about not feeling like their character would be represented in the same way. Right. It's, to me though, it also would be, if you don't do, if you don't lean into some of the things that make her character, that take her character further than maybe like the initial concept and premise, you're also ignoring like two years of comic additions. Like it's different, but there's a lot of things that tie right into where they've taken the character since. Um, mm. I mean, you got to remember this character was also at one point has been the Phoenix. Like <laughs> this character has come a long way since initial, Hey, Echo's joining the MCU. So to me, if you don't lean into her history and her background, her family and the lineage and everything like that, I mean, you know that there's a whole mini series that just dives into her past it's it's iterations it's the ancestry of echo as a character and them helping her we see that directly here like you can't ignore that stuff to me cuz that's what makes the character not just oh another brawler like that's what you have if you take that away so to me that's not like i think they actually did a good job of trying to bring a lot of those aspects in cuz that's who the character kind of is now 
um, in addition to those those things that were initially uh, conceptualized. And and so that's why I actually think for me, number one, this to me proves that sometimes the binge method is better. I hit these back to back to back. Like I was so excited to just wa- go from one episode to the other, and not wait a week. It works for a lot of shows, not every single show. Uh, I think this one benefited from being able to move right into the next chapter, especially with the Kingpin Echo stuff. Uh, this is this is probably somewhere I'd, I'd have to do a full ranking, uh, but it's higher on the list of, of Disney Plus shows for me. I I think this doesn't suffer from so much of the like I hear I see all the conversation about daredevil and like he's in it for you know what you know a minute two minutes whatever and i'm like that's not the point <laughs> it's the same kind of stupid conversation we had during shield that's not the point the show is not called daredevil and other person it's called this like to me i get aggravated when shows like when that becomes the conversation of when is this person gonna pop up when is this they got out of the way move on and this became an echo piece and a fisk piece because that's the two people that to me this kind of series hinges on and i thought they did they knocked that out of the park like i really i'm conflicted on the finale i i agree with you because i i actually really enjoy aspects of the finale because it didn't just do this oh my god it's a dragon or oh my god it's a giant thing that everyone has to fight like i was actually kind of excited that they kept it grounded and they kept it within the story they were telling from the very beginning i enjoyed that part i still think it like needed like a little bit more as far as the actual final fight sequence or, you know, but the emotional stuff they do is really good too. So I don't, I'm kind of with Kofi in, in aspects of the things I don't, that I have critiques on. I don't know exactly how it fixes. Um, but, but I came away really enjoying this. Well, first of all, Matt, I think the show would have been improved greatly if a dragon showed up at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, dra- people I, like dragons, and I get it. Dragons are cool. Wouldn't have made any sense at all, but it would have been fun. Um, <laughs> and, and I love your positivity, but I got to lean more towards what Kofi was saying. This one feels like a combination of a lot of half-baked ideas. And if you were hoping that this was the changing of the guard for how uh, Marvel and Disney approach these Disney Plus series, this is very much still in the Chapek era. This is not hey, we're suddenly upping our quality with this one. It's TVMA, but outside of a couple of blood packs, this thing is no more violent than Hawkeye. It wants to be hard-boiled, but then as the show progresses, it wants to get more into the mysticism of Choctaw culture and indigenous tribes, and it only kind of works. We keep bringing up the finale. The final conflict is basically yada yada in what she does with Fisk. They introduce what her you know supernatural ability is gradually through the show and then in the last episodes it's surprise she can also heal people somehow maybe unclear she does a thing with her hands and then we're all just kind of sit there going what 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 just happened what did she do to fisk fisk even goes what did you do to me and then it's unclear and he drives away i don't think that's unclear go that's 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 it that's all what what happened here and it's I, I mean, yeah, I got it that part, like, but well, let's it, get into it. I want to let yeah, I'll let you know but too. It's, basically, it's if you want a better indigenous people in modern day culture, watch reservation dogs. If you want a better Daredevil show, watch Daredevil. If you want a better action series in Marvel, watch Punisher. Um, there there's and if you want a better Oklahoma-based 
hey, I'm taking a small time crime syndicate and trying to take on the big boys in New York City. Watch Tulsa King. There are better Tulsa versions King. of this elsewhere. Tulsa King is really good. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, Janelle, what did you think? Well, gosh, I'm actually really surprised at what I'm hearing. Um, I binged this all in one day, and I only have two complaints. Number one, my first complaint, and it's a biggie, is that Kingpin didn't scare me. Um, mm. I wasn't super fearful of Kingpin. I am not very familiar with Kingpin from comics. So I just know Daredevil Kingpin, the Netflix series, um, or when it was on there. And so uh, I just didn't get the same fear uh, so I'm, he, they showed like soft sides and they showed how breakable he is. Like he got shot in the face and then like, he's like letting her smash him with a hammer. Like it's, I, I was just kind of, it, he felt weak to me, which is, um, not the kingpin that I've been led to believe exists in, in this world. Um, and then my other, kind of complaint was that I, I can't believe they released all of them at one time. I know that some people love binging and I am a binging fan, but I actually thought this show was strong enough to pull me in weekly. Um, I was very intrigued. Every episode left me hanging, you know, and really needing to watch the next one. And I really, I'm kind of bummed that we don't get to talk about this weekly. I feel like we're just talking about as a whole, it's going to be one episode on our podcast and then we're going to all forget about it. And I hate that because I love weekly breakdowns. I love being able to share like specific moments within each episode and really talk about the points where it shines and where it doesn't. So, um, I'm, kind of surprised that they released it all at once, especially with the lack of MCU content this year. Um, so those are my only two complaints. Other than that, I was extremely excited about this hero. I don't know her very much at all. Um, and I felt like she did an incredible job. This actress crushed it. I loved the storyline and I am more of a magic fan. I, I like time travel. You guys know this. So mm -hmm. more of the physical heroes don't excite me as much and her story and, and her family and her um, ancestral background. Like it just had me like from the jump. So I am, I'm so surprised and I totally understand what you guys are saying now that I'm hearing your perspectives, but boy, oh boy, before I came on this podcast, I was like, this show rocked it. Like, let's go. <laughs> so yeah. I was, I was really, I was really excited about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. Janelle. I think, I think that for me, the, the most noticeable discrepancy where the seams kind of show in this show is in the character arcs of Maya and Wilson Fisk. At the first episode, when you go back and really watch that one again, it's like a completely different echo. Like, it's hardcore Maya. She has this plan. She's going to take over a gang. She wants to be the queen pin. And we just quickly lose that thread. And it never is. And it's okay if a character changes. That's what's supposed to happen. And naturally, in a framework like this, her being home, being reminded of her culture, her family, coming away from the isolation that Kingpin created around her in, you know, the literal and figurative silence around her. That's a story. That's a compelling story. Rediscovering who you are and with a lot of subtext, because this guy's a white guy. He, she's an Indian or a Native American lady. And her kind of coming back to her roots and finding power in that 
it says a lot of subtext, right? But that quickly in that never gets answered. Like she never has to answer really t- like any hard or dramatic scenes for, you know, having this darkness in her, this ambition, you know, is this what her father would have wanted? Like none of those rich thematic things get touched on. We just kind of skip over it. Oh, and, hard disagree. And, uh, I mean, if I'm wrong, please. Yeah. I mean, this I is mean a binge. no, no, I just think they touch on them. I don't, I don't, whether you're satisfied with how much they went into or they could go on into them more. Absolutely. I, I would have loved to have seen them go into more, but they touch on all those things throughout the five episodes. Like those are moments in the show that dealing with her own, just going along with it. Like, I mean, that whole scene between her and Fisk, like addresses that directly. And it's all about, you're a, you're kind of a monster too. Like, yes, I didn't, I didn't pull the wool completely over your eyes. Like you accept the things. That's why they go back. And that first episode too is steeped in, I mean, some people were calling it a previously on episode and, and I can understand elements of that, especially cause you're bringing in, you know, roaming in and dealing with all those things. But like, they touch on all that stuff that like it's I think it's a I don't think it's as smooth as it could have been that transition from her going from I'm going to take it now to I'm I'm understanding some other things and coming into circumstances that I I have to just deal with this now. And that takes me out of that, like, full 100 percent go full speed of becoming the new kingpin. But I do think they like that is a transition that is made. I think it is there. Matt, to Kofi's point, I feel like some of the those plot lines were absolutely cut to the bone in terms of what we needed to get from her to be, I want to be the queen pin to, hey, I'm staying, and also I'm putting on the ceremonial thing and fighting off, you know, my surrogate father I, figure. And a well, and how many episodes was this supposed to be originally? Do I'm not know? sure, but I think a prime example is there's a thread introduced in the first episode where she's got this childhood cousin best friend who she mm-hmm. doesn't want to talk to when she gets back. And they finally talk in episode three when she's being held up by all those mob guys in the bowling alley. And then we don't see her again until the climax. Agreed. And for a that, shows, uh, absolutely. that's a recurring thing for the entire show. We never get back to it. I think it also lost me at the end of episode four. Somebody else mentioned this in the comments because she resolves this thing with Fisk. Fisk I guess she's like, okay, darkness, not my thing. But she just leaves like she's just getting on a bike to leave. And it's like, oh, I was so annoyed at that. Yeah, that nothing is resolved there. That's literally. And then there's this kind of, you know, the deuce ex machina where that's where I'm talking about the switch. Like Fisk goes from nurturing being the one and serial. And this was interesting because that's how serial killers work. Right. Like, right. Serial killers work in this logic where they will hurt so many people, but they usually have some kind of bolstering agent, right? Like a wife, a family, something like that, that they never touch that or even think like, oh, he was always normal. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, they they have this logic that says, oh, I'm not completely bad because I nurture this thing, but then I kill all these other people. And that's what was interesting about this portrayal of Fisk was, and I thought the menace for me was never knowing, you know, you can't trust a father figure like that because you never yeah. know when he's going to turn. But it didn't feel earned when he's like, oh, she didn't come with me. And then he's just like, murder everybody. And it's like, okay, uh, I don't know about that, but sure. Um, But it just felt Mm -hmm. rushed. So I think that turn is what threw me was, I think five is the one that just feels so extraneous to everything else. And while it was cool visualization and created a cool hero with, you know, a cool set of powers, it just Mm -hmm. felt like a rushed 
kind of about face. Like we got our, all right, we're at, and the same thing with Secret Invasion, right? And I will say, this is better than Secret Invasion. Let's not yes. jump out of the plane. Oh, it's not even this close. This is better than Secret yeah. Invasion so much. But Secret Invasion was the same thing. Like we got to episode six and was like, ah, ooh, look at the time. Wrap this up. Or Iger got back in the building and was like, what are you all doing? To Close be fair, though, now. I think aside from like two shows, we've said that about every single Marvel Disney Plus show. Pretty Every much. single one has been, they shoot, they wait till the two episodes, they shoehorn everything in. Moon Knight had some of that. <laughs> like they shoehorn everything in. And I love Moon Knight. I love Miss Marvel. Uh, I love uh, Hawkeye, but it's a, it's an, problem that's emblematic of their process to this that every single time we either go that needed to be an episode shorter or it needed another episode because my god they shoved everything into the one thing like that uh, if anything changes under the Iger kind of this new era once we get like that new crop because obviously like these are mostly done in the in the can you know you can only change so much but like whatever that new era of show is if we can please solve that either give them another episode or figure out a way to pace better where we're not just saving so much for those last few. Cause that is the thing here. Can I, can I pitch one thing to you guys in terms of this show? Because there was a few scenes where they would take the production and they would cut out the sound. So you were more in echoes perspective of being deaf. And it got me thinking about how with werewolf by night, we went whole hog on the design of, Hey, we're going to have the dimensions of the shot be, a certain size to make it feel like it's an old horror movie. We're going to have it be black and white until the very end. We're going to make it feel like this old timey concept. And then in the start of the second episode, we get a silent film. We do, we cut the dimensions and it's all, no one's talking. There's background music. And then it cuts to whatever they're saying to explain the dialogue. I was kind of thinking, why not make this whole show a silent TV show? Could they have pulled that off? No. I think, I think you people barely, get frustrated by that. I think you barely pull off what they did here. I mean, I know because the it's a it's a thing when your brain does when you're watching a movie. Like, you know, when you're hearing something that's your your native language in picture and sound, you can look away, you can be eating, you can do all this stuff. You mm. know, if you watch a foreign film that has subtitles, you you have to be watching that at a time where you can just sit down, stare at the screen, and see everything that's happened. This right. show made me rewind a lot because it's confusing because. Your brain's doing Same. both. Mm-hmm. Like you're 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 listening to one part and then sound cuts and then you look up and you realize, oh, there's been two minutes of a conversation <laughs> with ASL I, and I haven't really been happened. listening to any of that. And I'm like, yeah. oh, so funny. And I had to go back and but and that's on us. That's not right, on them. Right. That yeah. is completely but on us. Let's be clear. If it wasn't binging, then I think it would have been more uh, manageable. If it was weekly, then I I would sit down for an hour every week and focus. But because I had to watch all these episodes in one day for the podcast today, I was trying to do stuff in my life. And I literally, that's so funny. But we're not the people though that. Well, honestly, I think this thing would have, I yeah. think this would have been eaten alive if it were weekly because it would have been lambasted for its first week because it was just a recap episode. And I think by the end of episode two, most people would have fallen off. Yeah, I think so. Too. Not me, but, um, but no, not us. But um, <laughs> not you. It's, it's a tricky. The more the more you do this job, the trickiest part about it is like 
killing your own self-image off because you realize you're a warped mutant of the internet and <laughs> yes. right like yeah. not everyone has to watch it by yeah. friday so yeah, they're allowed yeah. to take it at their own pace just yeah. because five episodes are out doesn't mean you have to watch all five <laughs> yeah. episodes oh but, like, but i would yeah. totally just watch right yeah we're just, oh i'm the same way yeah. absolutely <laughs> we're all warped now. that's what you gotta realize like, we're so warped and we're not normal so like we have to imagine what the normal people are doing but um no but it is i think but to connor's point like i think this is a still a Marvel property, so the crowd coming in the door is big. I think in when you do big mainstream stuff, by the same token, you always got to imagine, you know, who's the – you got to think about what the weakest link in the chain is going to be like. And so I think this show pushes it as far as the weakest link can handle because I think the alternation between ASL and, and typical dialogue is going to be problematic enough for some people's – attention spans in our not quite attention spanny era but um, even daredevil did that didn't daredevil have like episode i mean it's been a minute since i've seen all three seasons but like daredevil played with that too for multiple episodes of your sight and what you're seeing and seeing the things and like even that was a point of conversation at the time mm -hmm. you know yeah so and that was daredevil um, right so but again, there's always like Marvel likes it. I mean, we got a full color cut of near Werewolf by Night. So I, I mean, in Prey did a whole, you know, authentic dialogue version of that movie. And there was a lot of times I thought about Prey in this yeah. when I was watching this because of a recent example of Native American culture given mainstream thing and how it worked in that movie so well. Um, but I think so. I think you could do a cut like that and it would be interesting yeah. to see. Like mm -hmm. it would be super duper interesting to see because Werewolf by Night by Color is a quite a different experience. And so, I mean, it's not something I wouldn't want to check out because I think it's important that we start between this and Coda, which I was writing about for another conversation we're going to have. Like, yeah, it's time for this kind of world to in ASL and, and you know, and generally different impaired people to get to have their worlds and their their systems of language and all Absolutely. that represented on screen as uh yeah i mean the line she throws in there at fisk about <laughs> you gave me the contact lenses because you were just too lazy to learn <laughs> sign language. i thought that was i thought that yeah, was amazing that was, like, that was a standout thing it said so yeah. i mean it was that's great writing because it says so much about the character it's her seeing through him saying you yeah. say all this friendly stuff but you'd rather like give me a context less and or as we saw at the beginning of that episode, what he does to interpreters like <laughs> My God, rather yes. than sit down and, and truly have intimacy with me by learning this and showing you care. Because, yeah. again, Fisk caring is so warped and broken because he's a serial killer, he's a sociopath. But mm -hmm. um, all right. I think we've, we've we're starting to look like another show. So we got to. <laughs> uh, you guys, uh, any final thoughts to let you guys cook? Uh, Janelle, anybody? Not. I'm excited about the news ahead and I'm glad we get to cover Marvel as well. <laughs> I'll, I'll say right. this. I, I know <laughs> folks didn't love Kingpin in Hawkeye. And while I'm not saying he's all the way back to what he was in Daredevil, this is a nice halfway point. We're, we're moving in the no, right direction. They had some good Kingpin type stuff. Like they did illustrate yeah. why he is who he is. The scene where he picks her up, uh, from the motorcycle thing, and he just walking through all the cops, and he doesn't even say a word. And one guy yeah, tries to stop him, and the other guy's like, "Yo, chill!" Like, or the thing, just like Kingpin, thanks you for your loyalty and what people do, just from that simple sentence. Like, that's the real power of Kingpin, like in the comics and on shows. Like, yeah, it's just the name, by the, way, the reputation, and the power of it. By the way, can we talk? Can we mention the spoiler at the end, or no? Do you want to keep that clear? 
Uh, I think a lot of people are still working their way through. So okay, so loosely allude to it for when they've. Yeah, seen. that I am very excited for that next era. Oh, the post credit scene. Okay, yes, yes stick sure. around. Yes, yes, we can actually. That's a good PSA. Stick around at the end of Echo Episode Five. There is a post credit scene that is important for the development of the MCU going forward, and I too am excited because. Now we're getting into slightly boys territory with that scene. And I was like, okay, I'm here. All right. You know, the newscast. Just, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's move on because we got so much more to do. And we just spent 30 minutes on this. <laughs> so let's see how much of this chunky or no, we don't say that here. I'm sorry. I'm getting confused over here. How much of this thick show are we going to get through casting guys? Take it away. I assigned each of you. There's been so much casting news this week. And <laughs> yeah, it's uh, huge. I was like, I'm not getting into all this. So you guys can, but uh, Matt, you had breaking news that you were kind of murking out about right before we got in here. Tell people what it was. Yeah, buddy. Uh, you can head to comicbook.com right now and uh, find my full write up about it. But uh, the season four of The Witcher has just added a huge addition, both in character and in actor. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne will be joining the show in season four as Regis, who, if you don't know who Regis is, he's a he's a fan favorite from both the books and the games. But Lawrence Fishburne is going to be playing a high vampire. Okay, he's going to be playing like a vampire that is <laughs> known as a barber surgeon uh, and is like one of the smartest people in the room has had a crazy life. I mean, at one point dude has had to survive multiple times and in the in the books like they as he's explaining things, uh guy's been literally almost killed multiple times in various different ways <laughs> and has like learned to recover uh over time. He's been alive for over 400 years. So imagine that kind of character who is joining Geralt and uh, Yaskir and Yennefer eventually imagine that as Lawrence Fishburne that is dope I am so excited I love this I'm so excited that he's going to be joining uh, obviously we don't know um, when season uh, four will actually hit but it is going to be starting production in the spring of this year so uh, I am excited like that is huge like the fact that yeah Lawrence Fishburne playing anyone like playing Phil, you know what I mean? Like, like if he was playing a witcher named Phil, that'd be great. But dude is playing a, a character that is awesome. So I'm excited for that. So cool. Who is next? I Oh, me? Okay, I didn't know if anybody had any big reacts to that. I'm just really excited. Oh, no. I love the Matrix. I was going to say, just, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was muted, but I was saying, uh, yeah, we're going to keep it running because we got to get Okay, yes, we'll so. keep it rocking. So my news is um, DCU Supergirl's first appearance might be sooner than we think. And they're screen testing three actresses. Um, they're talking currently to Millie Alcock, Amelia Jones, and Meg Donnelly. Um, you might recognize some of these familiar faces from things like House of the Dragon and um, Coda and the Winchesters. And this is very exciting. I think all three of these ladies would be a spectacular um, in this role. Like, I have no doubt that this casting is going to go great. I'm very excited about this. But we have to also take it easy here because they also said, literally, like, they're like, we're going to let these three read, but we also might just like offer it to a big movie star. So it's, you can't get your heart set on anything too much. We already know better, but I'm curious of the three, do you have a favorite, each of you? I mean, I'm biased because I literally just hit publish on the button uh, going into because we have an article about, you know, which we were offered to write about each of them and say, you know, argue our reason why Ooh, this movie 
Okay. So I looked at all three pretty deep. I did a deep dive into all three. And um, for my money, Amelia Jones is the best choice. Yeah. Uh, because she, first of all, she's the most versatile performer. She's been doing stuff since age eight, including Pirates of the Caribbean, Doctor Who episode as the Red Queen. She um, then kind of, she got into franchise stuff doing Lock and Key for Netflix. She was one of the main characters on that show. So she knows like kind of, and was a standout and fan favorite. Then, you know, you could have done anything. You could have rested on your laurels. She's like, no, I'm going to take this Locky Key Netflix stuff and I'm going to go big Oscar dramatic, oh, yeah. jumping into Coda. So she went out, learned yeah. how to run a fishing boat, learned ASL, <laughs> and then had that role in Coda and, and broke out. And she's been following that up with even kind of more mix of acclaimed work. She worked with uh, Sophia Copeland about on this movie called Fairyland, which she's the daughter of a of a closeted gay poet in the Beat era, and you know she has again it's a kind of tricky familiar familial bond type of movie with dramatic work, and she did this kind of crazy uh, romantic thriller with Nicholas Braun from Succession last year called Cat Person, where he plays, which is all a, it's kind of a a gender based thriller about a girl who meets a guy online, she thinks he's a cat person and he's supposed to be like a beta male kind of nice guy. But of course it devolves into something different. And that one was kind of like a femme theme thriller where the girls have to eventually kind of turn the tables on this really toxic messed up guy. So she's done like so much stuff, but the beauty of it is she's under the radar. Nobody mainstream really knows who she is, what she looks like or what she's supposed to quote unquote look like. And so she's a good canvas. She has all the acclaim, the work, the experience, and is enough of a blank canvas. Millie Alcock and Meg Donnelly are both, you know, hugely talented. Yeah. Um, House of the Dragon. Meg Donnelly also does so much massive amount of voice work, including in the DC Universe as Supergirl in this week's, even this week's Justice League Crisis on Infinite Earths Part 1. She is the Supergirl in that. Um, but it, I also think it's clear that they're on their because people can make an easy physical connection between them and, and Kara. Um, they have more of the quote unquote look you would automatically. But I think again, you look at Amelia Jones, you throw some hot hair dye on her. She has, you know, big eyes. She's been expressive, dramatic, fierce, all those things. Supergirl woman of tomorrow is not an easy story. It's right. It's literally about how Kara is all of these things. And in a person. So I think she can handle it. And that's, that's my choice. That's it. Jones is my pick too, by the way, just to make it easy for all the things you, you said. I, oh, I was yeah. like, I think she, I think all three are actually, I wouldn't oh, yeah. be mad that's at great. any picks, but yeah, Jones is the one I, I think just would be like such a great fit for that. So that's me. Oh, and she's the only one I thought would convince me that she's David Corn sweat cousin. Like if you were like, oh yeah, hey, that's, that's my little cousin. Call, like, like, which kind of <laughs> leads yeah. to the next point is the reason why they're kind of doing this and getting this done is that we're probably going to be seeing this character pop up in something else prior to her solo film, which um, people are, it's rumored it's going to be Superman legacy, which would be great because we get a nice little introduction. So that's the other little tidbit of news that released. And uh, I'm excited about it all. Yeah, no, we're eating either way. Uh, any of yeah. these three, I think we're eating. Like, And I think the good, the good casting moves into our next point in our final casting news, Connor. Yep, we've got Last of Us Season 2, so enough of all that positivity. It's time to be sad. We've got 
Uh, we've got three <laughs> casting confirmations. Um, we've got uh, Caitlin Deaver as Abby. Uh, so homegirl is going to have to be uh, pounding down the creatine and getting those arms. because And uh, get ready to not like this girl if you have not played the games but have only watched the show. And I will leave it at that. Uh, we've also got young Mazzino from Beef. Uh, he will be joining it. Who's he playing? He is playing Jesse. So uh, another character from Abby's side of the fence that you're going to have to get familiar with. And then uh, Variety put this one up. I know it's not in the run sheet, but I wanted to include it. Uh, Isabel, Isabella Merced. Yeah. He is uh, Dinah. So there you go. Boy, she's killing any, it. Any, any thoughts on this one? That's, that's Dora the Explorer right there. I, I <laughs> but just, like she's I love this but she's been like cast in so many like i'm so excited for her like the next like two years for her are gonna be stacked mm-hmm. man mm-hmm. kofi you're muted i'm muted and popping off over here <laughs> i can see him doing the thing and everything and yeah, i'm like he's they're muted. reading if you're listening to this they were reading my <laughs> my exaggerated expressions over video and i was totally muted but i'm saying her agent needs that bonus paper I'm because not seriously yeah <laughs> Hunger Games to oh right over here to Last of Us man she's hot girl too isn't she isn't she hot girl yeah yeah that's what I'm saying like she's she's got she's stacked Pedro Pascal's agent like what is happening over here (laughs) um but no those are all great castings like I I mean Catherine was supposed to she was one of the finalists to be ab uh, not Abby but to be um uh who's Bella play I, I can't believe I'm blanking on her name right now. Oh, uh, Ellie. She was oh, she was okay. one of the finest to play Ellie. And yeah. so people are like, it's actually kind of interesting that, you know, because an Abby isn't very much a kind of mirror of Ellie. Right. And so, like, mm-hmm. that's what makes their kind of rivalry in game two kind of interesting. And so this is interesting to see, like, Bella I, and yeah, I, I, I never got a chance to talk about on the show. I was pulling for Florence Pugh to get the Abby role. For a couple of reasons, one, um, she's this Florence is the, Pugh. Well, one is it is Florence Pugh. <laughs> Two, it's, it's the season one was the Joel and Ellie show, and spoilers that will not always be the case for the continuation of this series. And I will leave it at that. And at some point, you needed somebody to step up in that Abby role and be the next co-protagonist. I'm glad. And Pugh is a name, and also you need someone with physicality. This this, this girl can kick some serious butt, and. But you don't. I, I mean, we Bella was a change from Ellie, um, and yeah, it's fine. Uh, if Abby still has kind of like a lean muscle kind of butchness to her, that's still Abby. In my I, I don't. I don't want to get into that because there was all that discourse when the game came out about right. how she yeah. looked, and I'm just like, look, just if I believe she can, you know, do what she does to Joel believably, I'm good. Right. Also, Deaver's really, I mean, I'm I'm a fan. Like she's a she's a really great actress. I think she yeah. will nail this. And it, and I'm actually it's one of those things that uh I'm interested to see kind of like <laughs> you mentioned Pascal, like the thing with Reed Richards, right? Is like, oh man, the cast's like a really likable guy. <laughs> That's yeah. a guy I can't stand, right? Uh, because of things. And Abby comes along with some of that same baggage of things. So it is interesting that like Deaver plays a lot like She's just very innately likable in a lot of her parts, Um, Mm -hmm. even if they're doing things like she's just she has this like ability to kind of make you still kind of root for her. So I'm actually interested to see some of that brought brought over to the character. Yeah, I mean, and that's a key to this. Uh, A key to Abby is in that game is your 
hating her, but also rooting and intrigued when you're playing as her. And that's a hard thing to strike up. But um, yeah, I'm very interested in that. I'm very interested in where this is going. In, and it's nothing that's been like ill so far. There's no, and a bit, none of that ick factor in Last of Us Season 2. It's just, and uh, yeah, Mercedes Dina is, is going to be great. And her and Bella Ramsey, I think, are going to be great. So, all right. That's it for casting. Any final thoughts before we go to break? Oof. Just super pumped, man. We've got some great TV. I was so freaked out about Marvel not having a lot of stuff coming out, but I'm starting to feel very comforted. Picking up the slack, everybody else. <laughs> oh, yeah. And this is the time where it's good to be the show that covers all things geek culture. because we All things geek culture. Year. Yeah, we're going to eat go. this year no matter what. All right. We got to take a break. And when we come back, we're bringing a special guest on from our gaming team who has the burden of knowledge. He has played. <laughs> Suicide Squad, kill the Justice League. Find out what he thinks when we come back. Welcome back to Comic Book Nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture and the official, oh, I forgot the last part, the official podcast of comicbook.com. <laughs> Six years, not enough time. Uh, if you missed our first half, we talked about Marvel's Echo, and we broke down the big casting news for The Last of Us Season 2, Supergirl Movie, and The Witcher Season 4. Now, as I promised, we have one of our favorite gaming team members from uh, Comic Book Gaming on, and he is, as I said before the break, he has been burdened with knowledge like Stark. Mr. Kate Onder is with us, and he got to go out to an event this week and play DC's long-awaited, infamous Suicide, Suicide Squad video game, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. So, Kate, I know there is so many questions, assumptions, speculations, everything around this game. As somebody who's actually sat down and played it, what can you tell us about your first impressions? Um, I was more positive on it than it seems other people who went and played it were because I all the impressions came out this week and everyone's like, we didn't like it or we're not so sure about this thing. And I'm like, well, and, and keep in mind, me saying I'm positive doesn't mean I'm like, oh, it's gonna be the best ever. I'm still like, ah, it's got some work. But like, um, as the first game in what, nine years since Batman Arkham Knight Jeez. for Rocksteady, I don't totally know that this is the game they should have made. I don't totally know if this is like everything that we would have hoped for. But at the same time, I still had fun with it. I think my biggest takeaway and my biggest surprise with the game, it's extremely funny. Like, I think comedy is really hard to do in video games because they're very long and you can make players very annoyed very quickly. But it's extremely funny. Um, so there's that. And <laughs> then the story is really cool uh i i really like you know the the cinematic flair that rock city brings to their games is very much present here all that stuff that you love from the batman arkham game story-wise is very much carried through here especially with the inclusion of the justice league being uh really mean to you the entire time it's always very fun seeing flash and green lantern and, and other characters bully you batman will come in over your radio in your ear and just like talk crap to you for <laughs> 20 minutes Amazing. and it's like great and I, I didn't notice this, but someone posted a video today of Batman can be found in the open world just watching you. Like, he's stalking you. And I think that's really a really cool that's touch. Cool. So there's cool stuff like that. 
Um, but I think the thing that people were worried about the most with this game was the live service co-op structure of everything, the Marvel's Avengers of it all. And that is definitely where the game kind of um, limps, uh, I would say. Um, for every mission that you have that is like a linear cinematic-ish mission, there's like five missions that you have to do that are like defend A, B, and C or ex extract all these civilians. And it's just like, mm, this isn't what I want to do. And I get it's a co-op game, but that's not what I'm looking for here. So I'm curious because we've you've kind of mentioned it, right? That it was – well, number one, it's funny. But mm -hmm. the core gameplay itself, like we've seen a lot of stuff about, hey, shoot purple, right? That was kind of a running thing. Shoot the purple orbs uh, coming out of the thing. But is that – is the actual core like moment to moment for each character's various power set? Like is it more than that? Is it that? Like what can you tell us about that? It, uh, have you guys played Sunset Overdrive, any of you here? It's been a while, but yeah. Uh, no, it, well, that, that's a game of like very advanced movement. You're jumping around, bouncing around, flying around. That's how this game feels. Uh, so oh, it's, it's good. much more of a, like, you know, when you think of Batman, he's like planted on the ground pretty firmly most of the time. And he's just punching people. This game has you, um, jetpacking, running up walls, uh, grappling, hooking around and, and doing stuff to stay, uh, moving you it's very propulsive in that sense there's a lot of momentum being built around um so that's kind of the core gameplay is your like i played as deadshot he's the most fun character to play as in my opinion and um he has a jetpack so you shoot yourself up in the air you maybe hover there you shoot down at people you fire rockets and all that stuff's really fun um but there's not much more to it than that mm -hmm. and all of the enemies are just kind of generic blobs remember in the first suicide squad movie how they were all these like just gray blobs and there was nothing interesting about them that's kind of what uh brainiac's little villains are in this game it's like, i miss oh. the guys in arkham that were like oh it's the freaking bat you know <laughs> <laughs> Kate, let, let me let me ask you this gotham knights i got burned real hard by that one that one broke mm -hmm. my heart is this is this that bad when it comes to the live service aspect, or is there some salvageability from this one? I think there's salvageability, and I, I I'm very interested in their long term plans. You know where they're going to add all these characters. Um, they wouldn't tell us who they're going to add. They kind of tease some things. I asked them, will there be superheroes? Since this is a game of villains, will we get to play as maybe someone who's a little bit more heroic? And they wouldn't really tell me. What I will say is, I noticed billboards in the game and in person they had a real one at the event of zatanna so i was like that sounds cool but i don't want to play as zatanna with like glocks like i want <laughs> you know i want zatanna with her magic i don't want her to be running around with a wand shaped gun like that doesn't sound too fun to me well and that was the other thing too is that so we've seen like a dead shot obviously leans into that, right? Like if mm. Bloodsport makes it into the game, like that leads into it. Like there's there's characters that make perfect sense. But like, you know, King Shark, um, did you get a chance to to run around as him a little bit or, or get some yeah. gameplay stuff on him? I played as all four very briefly. They kind of set us into like a tutorial section where we could play as those characters and get a feel for them. Um, he is just 
guy with bigger guns like that's his thing is like mm. he's bigger so he has bigger guns but i mean he can still like run around and like ground pound and stuff but you're mostly going to just be using like mini guns as him and stuff which mm. is like again as a studio that made batman like the first real yeah. batman game where you feel like batman right you feel those punches the fact that they couldn't translate that to just four other characters that already have very unique power sets that are very distinctive and are just like guns it's like yeah or they could okay. or they could do it but they they had built themselves an infrastructure of yeah we need guns to be here so they're all going exactly. to have guns yeah yeah because you got the loot system right you can't have like punch or like boxing gloves as king shark that runs out pretty quickly <laughs> yeah <laughs> kofi do you have I, anything that um yeah i just had one question and it's always mm -hmm. my question since rockstar first did Arkham Asylum and you know that I was like what the the whole revolutionary thing of that beyond all the kind of the gaming aspects and technicalities was the game succeeded in making you feel like a kick-ass Batman yeah uh Insomnia Games succeeded again because Spider-Man makes you feel like a kick-ass Spider-Man mm -hmm. I don't even know how to define this for this game, but do mm. you get the feeling of like the fun of being these characters? Certainly for Deadshot. Like really, if this was just a Deadshot game, I'd be like, this is great. Like this is really fun to move around as him. And like, there's like kind of dynamic ways to move through the world too. Like I said, he has a jetpack, And so he can jetpack his way up a wall, He'll like wall run, but he's being propulsed by the jetpack boosters, which I think is really cool. And all of his weapons are really cool. Um, and there's a lot, you know, if you've played like destiny or stuff, you, you know how you get guns that do like special things. Like there was a grenade I got that was like a lottery grenade or something, which is really weird, but like it sets off cool lottery effects i don't know how to explain it it's more of a visual thing than anything else but um that's really cool um playing as harley quinn was weird right because everyone in the game has some sort of traversal mechanic that's unique to them and like captain boomerang throws his boomerangs and he teleports to where his boomerang goes and harley quinn's like got batman's grappling hook she took that from the hall of justice and that's her thing and so she has a drone that follows her around that has to hook onto something and it's not super smooth it feels a little clunky um mm -hmm. and I, you know her whole thing usually is like she has a baseball bat or a mallet or whatever and you can use that but you're mostly going to be using guns and i don't know it's i i think I'm more excited when they will introduce other characters like Deathstroke or something, right? People who right. are way more fitting for this kind of game. Oh my God. And then using a sword like on top of all the guns or yeah. yeah or Bloodsport who can make any, like there's exactly. so, there's so many characters that they can actually use. I mean, Peacemaker is a, an easy one too. It feels yeah. like, yo, yeah. Uh, if they don't do a Peacemaker thing. They hate money. Like <laughs> just hate money. <laughs> yeah. It, it's like, there were probably other characters that would be way better suited for gameplay. I get maybe they're going for a more story dynamic where all four yeah. of these characters are very different from each other and that the banter between them is amazing. Genuinely, it's a very funny game and I really like seeing all these characters together. But when you're playing through it, it's like, uh, I only want to play as Deadshot. And I think you can maybe, I, I may be wrong on this, but all four people can play as the same character if they really want to. So uh, like, okay. if you want to do that, you could probably do that, but whatever. Oh. 
Okay. Well, that's interesting. Okay. Lots of, right. lots to think of there. Lots of process. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't hate the game, but I'm cautiously optimistic in some areas and a little nervous in others. All right. So uh, when's the release date? And uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to have you and the gaming team back on to really get into this when it comes out. So uh, yeah. Yeah. January 30th is the early access release date if you pay extra money. And then February 2nd is when it comes out for everyone else. So, All right. So that is Cade Anders' first impressions of the gameplay for Suicide Squad. Kill the Justice League. Again, one of the longest video games I remember waiting for in recent times, this side of GTA 6. But uh, there it is, your first impression. And we, the gaming team is going to have so much more for you guys in the coming weeks. And we're also going to be highlighting it here. So stay tuned because gaming content is coming your way via this show. Hey, Kate, thanks so much. I'm sure you have uh, plenty to do, but uh, if you want to hang around, go ahead. But otherwise, you can get on out here and get back to your normally scheduled day. Oh, peace out. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is man. Thanks, Kate. All right. So we have a line. We had so much more, but I have a line. I recut the line in here for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but and it keeps shifting. <laughs> Oh, I is. love the line. Yeah, fun. we are in flux. This show is not every other show, buddy. We can come <laughs> in with a plan, and that plan goes out the window because stuff starts <laughs> happening. Um, anybody who's been a longtime listener knows these Friday shows, we used to get done and be like, guys, we did it. And we'd walk away, come out of the studio, and be like, wait, what happened? And then be like, well, we just blew a whole show, not talking about the one thing people just want to talk about now. But uh, we're getting better at it. All right, so I'm going to keep my segment real short here. I got a couple things to talk about. First, I uh, went out and saw the new Mean Girls movie. Um, Ooh, wow. Yeah, right? So, I'm curious. I mean, it was just because it was screening right uh, next to my house, and my wife and I was like, you want to go see this one? Because we had been in a screening a long time. She was so excited, and so we went in. We didn't watch any trailers. I didn't do any research on this because I go in cold these days. I've made this clear on this show. I like to go in cold so I can just judge the content on like what it is. No idea this was a musical or a movie that Mean Girls, the movie inspired a musical and the musical has now inspired a new movie. So no idea about that. They did the Wonka thing. They hid the fact yeah. that it was a musical. Right. But I mean, if I think it was fairly out there, but like I just did no research. So I had no idea. So that was a surprise when I went in, but I was like, I surprisingly dug it for the most part. Uh, mean Girls 2024 is like i said it's based on the musical that ran up until covid kind of killed that one off but it was a musical on broadway and other venues and uh the actress who plays regina george renee rap it was the she took over the role on broadway so she was from the broadway show she yeah. came to do the movie she wrote new songs for it tina fey is back kind of shepherding it like again so it's very much in the mean girls team. This is not like somebody else coming in and doing a, 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 like a franchise grab. This is the, the powers that be of the first film and of the musical coming together. And so it's, it's a solid update. Like it's a pretty solid update. It's mean girls just into the 2020s. So you can imagine all the things that have changed about, you know, what it is to be a plastic, what the, what the high school kind of demographics and clicks look like are very different. It, and it does the same thing that like 21 jump street did, right. Which is, it takes your memory of earlier times. It kind of turns them on their head in clever ways because these are different times, right. And, and different circumstances. So not everything can play out exactly the same way. 
um, because the attitudes are different. Uh, the new plastics are, are pretty hilarious. Uh, they, they do a good job of, again, getting with the times and realizing like what we consider beauty now, influence, like all of that stuff has evolved and changed since Mean Girls was out in 2004. And we were still living in like a Pam Anderson era back then. Now we live in a Carda- post-Cardassian era. So, you know, you could get where, you know, how beauty standards have changed, opened up, diversified. And so these plastics are a funny and good reflection. And they're still the same personalities in new kind of forms. But uh, the cast is all really good. Andrew Rice, who's uh, Betty Brandt in the Spider-Man movies, um, does a really good job as kind of the new Katie. Uh, like I said, Renee Rapp is great as a new Regina George. She can sing. She can also do that whole thing. Um, my only criticism is they brought too much of the songbook to this. By the third act, my wife looked at me. She looked at me and was like, how many songs am I going to have to do before we get out of here? And I was like, I really don't know. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and there were a couple more. So the songbook's a little, there's a little too many stops for musicals, numbers. And some of them are like really abrupt and cheesy. Like you're going through a plot scene and you're like, uh, oh, uh, okay, we're going to do a song about this, I guess. And it's like, all right. And there's like a two minute song. And you're like, and then none of them are bad. All good musical book, all good that. But by the end, you're like, I don't want to hear another song. This is like a CD that's going on too long. Like, it brings me back to the to the Zach Efron SNL skit when he was like, I was nervous, but excited. <laughs> so I sang, I was nervous, but excited. <laughs> and no one's talking to you. You shouldn't sing what you think. It's awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, it gets to be like that at certain points. But like I said, um, the me it proves that like, you know, we always get on Hollywood and say, oh, too many remakes, too many reboots. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. But like. This is literally Mean Girls over again for 2024. And it still proves that it, with the right creative hands, like it can work. Mean Girls is a is a generational story because some things do change, but some things don't change. And uh, this movie and Tina Fey and them get that. So um, if you like as musicals a, and you love Mean Girls, there you go. I was going to say, as a huge Mean Girls fan, this was a film that I never asked for or wanted. And I'm not going to see it. Dang! Uh, I, mean, that, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's that's fine. Like Regina George is Rachel McAdams. Like, stop, just stop. Nah, I got out. Uh, <laughs> man, I don't want to get too deep into this, but I was like, I was like, I texted some people, and I was like, you know, I, I'm really happy they did. They understood the times, and I'm trying to be classy about this because we're talking about people playing high school students and stuff. But like, beauty standards have changed. And yeah, we we lived in a in a Rachel McAdams world back in 2004. <laughs> Rachel McAdams ain't gonna rack up Instagram followers. We live in different times now. So. She's relatable. I feel like I she's said relatable. Instagram followers. Okay. Oh, uh, oh. my god, I'm not yo man. I'm not going to HR. Okay. Yo, so I'm not going to HR. <laughs> you did this. I don't need a sing. Mean girls. I'm good. Um, I mean, I mean, that's fine. I mean, if, I think a lot of people are going to feel that way. Like hashtag not my mean girls. And really it's not. I mean, generational story changes aren't going to hit you as a kid who graduated in the two thousands. Like they're going to hit this new Gen Z thing. Yeah. You're going to look at the TikTok references and roll your eyes, but I think it oh, will yeah. connect with, the, with Gen Z. So I think <laughs> that's, that's kind of the point for me. 
Yeah. So. Also, shout out to Distance for uh, mentioning zombies and Descendants. I love both of I love both of those immensely. <laughs> so those are so fun. All the Disney, like the Disney Channel and the Disney like movies and stuff. Those are so cool. They're fun. Like it, it's just you know. But they they also do the even kids shows. I, Anissa, much like your wife, Anissa looked at me one day. I can't remember what show we were watching for Ember, and they started talking. And we were like, it was almost done, and then they were like, but, and then they started the segue into a song, and she's like, no. No, no, you know, no song is needed. <laughs> just, just finish the sentence and move to the end of the episode, please. We've yep. been here for half an hour. <laughs> yep, exactly. All right. Um, also out right now is the trailer for Halo season yeah. two. Uh, we were like, <laughs> we were out on a ring of space by ourselves with our <laughs> kind of calmer reactions to Halo season one, um, which you know, we all know it fell apart in the end. We were never confused about that. After yeah. that awesome battle episode, the rest of that show, the budget, the cast, everybody started to fall apart. And that was clear. What did you guys think about this trailer for season two? Matt, Every time I you? see someone not oh, wearing sorry. a helmet, I get mad. That That's, so does that's Matt. just... <laughs> I don't know where that started. Actually, I do know where that started. That was a Peter. That was a comic book nation producer, Peter and rich thing. Um, no, no, I, I mean, this looks dope, but let, but let's finish your thought, Connor. No, it's just, it, I'm, I'm still waiting for them to actually tackle the story of halo. And it still nobody, feels like we're not nobody knows the story of halo. Stop it. But it's stop it. Everybody stop it. So use it. Nobody, it's, it's nobody knows the story of Halo. Like, Me and Jim Bacardi were looking children it. and all these different planets it's so like, uh, on the damn Halo ring. I, I mean, I know that. Look, I we had this, we had these fights in season one. We had these like because we were very much on the on the positive side of things. But I I like this show because it's not just a regurgitation of Halo, which I don't find very interesting. Sorry, I played all the games. I don't find them interesting. <laughs> the lore is boring to me the gameplay super fun i love throwing grenades i love riding warthogs like there, all those things are amazing the story has always and the lore has always been just a big you know it's just not it doesn't click with me and so when the show wanted to add some depth and explore things i found that interesting i was like oh this is not and then we got to the battle episode and everyone used that as like this is what a halo series should be i was like no this should be part of it but it should not be the entirety otherwise i'll tune out like i don't want that every episode that's so boring and it's okay for someone to take their helmet off <laughs> why is it so wrong for a guy to take his helmet off it's fine master chief damn it oh my god the most cardboard uh like in the games that character is it's always the supporting cast that make that character interesting and i i like it here that it's not interesting memorable thing about halo games man i'm just saying the doom slayer would never I'll leave it at that. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Um, I'm pumped about this. And all I have to say is Joseph Morgan. I saw him in there. He played Klaus on Vampire Diaries and he was also in Titans. Oh. And I love him. And I am so, so intrigued about his character. And I want to see who he is and what he's doing. And I'm used to seeing him as a villain. So, like, is he going to be a hero? I don't know, but I'm excited. Also, the swords, the swords. Okay, the swords are dope. Yeah, that's crazy. That was the only thing I could play shotgun and sword. That's me. Short (laughs) short range. I can't snipe. Like, it's terrible. So, just, you know. Yeah, Yeah, I was always um, sniping. 
I wish this trailer had, I wish they do kind of show us more with the Redeemer and kind of setting up that whole thing because I think a rival for the Master Chief is a good thing to establish in this show. Kind of give him more than just, because I think still think the Covenant and that whole thing, like I said, I mean, it, time has passed enough. I feel like we can be honest with ourselves. Halo, like you said, greatest gameplay experience of the early 2000s for me. Story, complete ass in part one, part two, oh, and three. <laughs> I do not know anything wow, about it. That, I don't know anything about it except keep those zombie parasite cordyceps. The flood. The flood. Yeah, the, the flood from getting out. That was it. The Covenant, all that stuff, I couldn't care less about. Uh, so, like, yeah, man, I'm not, like, hung up on the lore, but I feel like in this show you do have to make the Covenant a more relatable thing than we got in that first season I mean, they used the crutch of a human character to try to bridge that gap. But no, you need Covenant characters. You need the Redeemer. You need to know who these Covenant elites are. You need an episode that maybe takes that lost, uh, the uh, Tailies type deal and gives us some time with Covenant characters to really understand like where they're coming from and like what the stakes are, what the danger is that they're mounting and stuff like that. So I hope we do get spread out like more than, you know, the characters we have, but I do like the returning characters and I do like the helmets off. Like I thought uh, that female Spartan character was one of the strange or strongest aspects of the first season and her journey to kind of like waking up and doing all that. Cause so, you get to know them. Exactly. And so like that battle episode <laughs> worked not because of the visuals, but because of the stakes at that moment that they're fighting for. And you actually care about the stakes in that episode. So I hope we get, I mean, there's a lot of ominous and, and pretty pictures here, but I hope like when those covenants are, when we're doing this aliens thing, right? Where the space Marines are hunkering down in the base and the covenant are coming through the door. I hope we feel the stakes of that. And we are on the edge of our state or of our seats sweating about it. That's all. Yeah. And then we'll get at the very end of the season, we'll get a, a little grunt and I'll be like, Meow! and then it'll be the confetti after you shoot them. Just like the game. See, there you go. Bring it all together. Tether it. There it is. There's the authenticity. <laughs> all right. That's Halo. All right. We're into some uh, bonus time things, so we can use some of this time. We have a little bit of time to kind of uh, just clean up a few things. Um, we talked about let's go over some program reminders. We didn't do any program notes for this show. Comic Book Nation is, as our name implies, a growing nation. We have multiple spinoffs of our main Friday live show episodes. This week alone, we did live reactions to the Star Wars movie news about the Mandalorian movie, Ahsoka Season 2, and all the plans that are going there. Connor Casey hopped on with me and uh, Star Wars expert Patrick Cavanaugh, and we broke all that down. So listen to that bonus episode. We also did the pull list, Matthew Aguilar's weekly comic-focused segment of comic book nation where we review the new books out that week or talk about the ongoing big storylines and comics try to highlight some of the off the beaten path picks that we love and this week we talked ultimate spider-man and rise of the powers of x or rise of the powers of 10 the other part of the x-men's krakoa care uh, krakoa era finale and those were both very big topics and uh, we had a lot of fun stuff to say about them so check out why this is uh, one of the biggest eras in Spider-Man right now. And every week we have Riptide Radio. Liam Crowley is a serious Percy Jackson fan, and he's been killing it, getting the cast and crew of Percy Jackson together with our experts to break down that new Disney Plus series. So also listen to that. 
Now, by the way, that series is so great. Like Percy Jackson, good. I finally binged it, and I'm so happy. And I, I didn't even read those books or anything. So yeah, that's a great series. You guys should be checking it out. Yeah, check out Percy Jackson, and afterwards, come check out Riptide Radio and Comic Book Nation. All right, uh, but because we did spin out Ultimate Spider-Man into the pull list this week, uh, it is not something we we were planning to go into depth here, but Connor Casey read the book, and he did not get a chance to cook on this. So, Connor, why don't you give us your thoughts? How did you, how'd you take Jonathan Hickman's Ultimate Spider-Man? So before I tackle Spider-Man real quick, just want to say the latest Wolverine also dropped this week, and they are teasing it as the most violent Wolverine event in history. And uh, Sabretooth does something to one of Wolverine's kids that actually lives up to the billing. Holy crap. Um, but anyway, so yeah, go read that. And if you haven't been reading the Wolverine series, fix that. It's great. Um, as for the Hickman Spider-Man show, uh, I, re- I, re- I really enjoyed this. I-, I loved how he made MJ and Peter feel like an old married couple that are in their mid thirties, have a couple of kids, but are still making things work. I love how they convey to you what's changed to make this timeline difference in that aunt may is dead ben is alive j jonah jameson is still the j we recognize but there's also you feel like because ben is alive and they have a working relationship there's a better side to him that he's allowed to let out and i I love the dynamic they have i love that he's actually kind of a surrogate father figure to peter as well even in his 30s there, there was so much to enjoy about this. I, I love Kingpin's involvement. I love the tease for the Goblin. The only thing that kind of, kind of stuck with me where I went, man, why, why did you go that route? Was the big Tony Stark reveal of, hey, you were supposed to have an entirely different life. Here's the Spider. Go off and be Spider Man, and here's your suit to go along with it. And I'm like, I feel like there's an aspect of Spider Man that gets lost if he willingly chooses to become this character as opposed to the powers being forced upon him and then him having to make the choice of, okay, what do I do with this? And that's where the whole great power and great responsibility concept comes in. When he's told, Hey, you're supposed to be this hero. Here's the stuff to make it happen. And then you've just got to go and do it. I went, man, something got lost there, but it's still a choice he's making. It is like that. A, that's what I find more intriguing like, is that it's a choice. Yeah, it is still a choice. And I like the conversation he has with MJ, where at first you're thinking, wait, are they are they trying to get a divorce? I swear to God, if Paul shows up in this, I'm going to lose. It. <laughs> oh, Thankfully, we don't have to deal with such foolishness. Oh, Paul. Poor but Paul. That, no, that means they, that, you thought they were going to get a divorce. Well, no, that, that's that's how that conversation starts is like, I, I need a change. And she goes, oh, that. And I'm just like, what are we doing? And then it very quickly becomes, oh, no, it's he wants to go to be Spider-Man and she's supporting him. And I'm like, OK, brother, that's I, I don't I don't want to scare you, brother. But anytime you have to talk to your wife about anything like that, it is terrifying. Oh, Whether sure. it's a job, I want to move a city. I just don't want to do this thing we always did before. Like, yeah, I mean, I didn't think it was going to be divorced, but I, I, I actually we highlighted that scene about the intricacies of long term relationship and marriage and how well plotted that scene is for that between a married couple. Um, um but uh, I, I kind of uh, disagree with you because I think that concept is actually one I would find more interesting now, which is like the instead of all this multiverse stuff we do, it's like the core of a multiverse story is if you had the choice to do this path again or to know it and, and see it, would you? Because that is real 
life commitment things. That's like a psychology technique that they teach you to help you assess your life choices, right? Would you do it again? You did Mm -hmm. this thing, would you do it again a second time? So I think that's the kind of framework that I said at the end, I'm really interested to see because it sets up already an intriguing thing where Peter feels this thing initially, like, yeah, I feel this thing is missing. I feel like I have this thing. But there's feeling that, and then when there's what happens when you get it. And Spider-Man's core character thing is too much in for one life, is is the running theme of Spider-Man. I have too much going on for one life. I, mm-hmm. I have to be here, but I also have to be here. Now he chose this because of a personal pride thing. But what mm-hmm. happens when you get it now and, and you see the classic Spider-Man, now this is effing with my family. Like, what does it do to you as a character? And this Peter Parker is already psychologically interesting enough for me for him to then have to, you know, that choice and the responsibility. It's not just great power. It's like choice and responsibility now are kind of getting linked in a way that I think is really interesting. It's a it's a theme I definitely want to see them continue to talk about as this books go on. But I also my my last thing on it is that the the Jonathan Hickman of it all did start to rear its ugly head when it came to the big exposition dump from the Tony Stark hologram of I like Hickman. I like his writing. The dude can overcomplicate things at times. It's why there's the running joke of you need graphs and he gives you graphs in order to understand what the hell is going on at certain times. I was as I was completely lost way back in the fall in the House of X and Power of Ten Days. And it were it not for those charts, I would have been just as stumped. And I think when you bring back a title like Ultimate Spider-Man, who to a certain level of incredibly casual comic readers, that rings an alarm bell of, wait, you, you brought it back? How, when? How? How do we do this? And you dive in, and then it's, well, we have to explain this event that a lot of people were just kind of humming and hawing about, and it's how we're going to get to this point. And I'm just kind of like, did you need that full explanation? Or could it have just been, hey, this is a world where Peter never got bit, go. And he accidentally gets bit when he's 35, and we just go from there. I feel like there was an over overcompli- complication by bringing in that recent Ultimates event. Well, I mean, I see what you're saying, but we actually had the reverse question. We were like, on the show, we actually asked, would it have been better never to have done Ultimate Invasion first? To just yeah. put that scene with Iron Man in there, and then it's not an exposition dump anymore. It's a mystery. Like yeah. something yeah. happened and it screwed up this world, but you as the reader do not know yet what it is. And then we could have gotten some of the best scenes of Ultimate Invasion just parsed out in flashbacks. Um, But that's neither here nor there. But you also got to remember, just for context, that if I could see, this isn't just an isolated story. It's Mm -hmm. a story that's part of a line of stories about these new heroes, new versions of the ultimate heroes in this world that was interrupted, right? And so I feel like the Tony Stark thing is part of what's going to be the kind of connective thread between like this ultimate Black Panther, ultimate X-Men. Like I get that part, but no, we, we did single out that scene and saying, if this was just exposition you read and you truly had no idea what had happened before this, Mm. that would have been in some ways much more effective because ultimate innovation kind of sucked and trying to get, and it was all just preamble to get to 
that Tony Stark ending and the cataclysmic event and, and setting up this new world. Yeah. But that might have been more effective as a mystery. In and I think that's why this issue works is that literally you just read this issue. I mean, I know like some aspects of that you might not like because those are very much his like Hickman trademarks and those are tied to that event. So you do if you've already established that's the world, you have to then acknowledge it. But I think they did enough here to where I can give this to anybody. And feel like they can get the gist of of what they need. And I still don't want to see like I'm glad they did not do it where it's a choice forced upon him. We've seen that story numerous times. I don't want you know, I want him making a choice, him making a choice at this point in his life. More importantly, to me, is far more intriguing as a concept than, oh, it's a spider bit me. I didn't know. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because as just, we said, just, when you're. And I'm and I'm not saying this like for you, Connor, because I know we have slightly different life context, but like there is a point when you're middle aged and you're settled down and you have kids and you're in that routine where your life unlived does become a massive thinking point in your head. It's like what a lot of middle age crises are about, right? It's like people trying to reclaim, keep the life they have and reclaim that path they think they never went down. And it usually sure. goes terribly wrong. Sure. Um no, it always goes terribly wrong. I wore and I so, wore a lot of jewelry in mine. Uh, it was and and I wore studded earrings in mine, and a big giant cross stop, with 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 it. diamonds. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> it always goes wrong. You but, sound um, like a New York taxi driver right now. Uh well, <laughs> yes, I had. I don't. Think, and I say I think Hickman and and the creative team understand that. Yeah. Peter making this idealized choice right now is going to get way more complicated. And I said, that's the thing I want to see in the forthcoming issues. Is this a Spider-Man who still thinks it's funny to wisecrack when his life is on the line and he knows he's going to possibly orphan his kids? Is he still Mm. a wisecracking Spider-Man? Is he still, is his internal crisis going to be like, why the hell did I ever do this? And, you know, just like, yeah. Why did I start the payments on this Corvette? No. Why did I let the spider bite me? Like I didn't really need this. And, I'm intrigued to see that because Peter's resolution of Spider-Man is kind of the core defining character. And when you interrupt that, I'm interested to see where we can take it. So this brought back memories because I left those earrings on a toilet in a <laughs> Oh my God. Stop it. <laughs> um, we gotta get out of here. Uh, but Janelle, you didn't get a chance to read <laughs> Ultimate Spider-Man yet. But so let's get a final word from you on our last topic. Uh, the Mandalorian, we got word we're getting this movie with Grogu and Mando. We're still getting Mando season four. We're getting Ahsoka season two. And the Filoni movie is still happening that, to bring the Mandoverse to a climactic event. How do you feel about all that? It's a lot. But you know my motto. You know it, right? We need More a jingle. content. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about everything. Um, I have full faith in these projects. I really do. I feel like um, a film will be a great conclusion. And I do think that it's time. Like, I don't know how much further Mando could go with this story. So I feel like we've had a great run. And it's like, go out while you're on top and crush it. You know? Oh, no, but we still get season four. Like, this movie is the end. Yeah, But I, I mean, I because we took bets on what would happen here. And I said Star Wars should get dangerous and kill Mando and make that, <laughs> the, stakes, and make that the stakes for the Filoni movie. Because and that clearly ain't there. happening. Oh, man. <laughs> no, I, think Bo-Katan, I think Bo-Katan could catch it because that's a continuity thing that needs to be cleaned up. So I think Bo-Katan yeah. could catch it. So as long as Costa Reeves but, uh, survives, we're fine. 
I think the question I ended off with is, is this the move, though, for Star Wars, banking on the safe stuff, or do we need more Andors? Oh, I loved Andor. We need I, them both, I, Kofi. Yeah, all of I it. I tried to all fool you. I tried to fool you. All right. <laughs> we, we, but how can I fool a show that does it all for geek culture? culture. Our view is too wide. This is Comic <laughs> Book Nation. This is season six. We are in 2024, and it is already heating up, as this week has proven. As I said, our show, this is our main hub, our live show Friday, where we do all the variety of things we do. But we have many spinoff and bonus episodes every week. So subscribe to Comic Book Nation's YouTube page, as well as the main comic book YouTube page. And subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platforms. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. So you can find us very easily. And uh, yeah, we will be continuing to expand this season and just kind of hitting everything that big in geek culture. So stay tuned for all of it. I'm your host, Kofi Outlaw. My co-host, Matthew Aguilar, Janelle Wheeler, Connor Casey. Thank you guys once again for hopping on. This is Comic Book Nation. We will see you guys out there. Peace. Later. Later.